A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Herleman, sponsored by Starburst. Starburst is a single platform to help you activate all your data, no matter where it lives. Check out our new Data Products for Dummies ebook to learn more about how your organization can utilize data products. To download your free copy, head on over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introductions and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Episode 281, a panel, data contracts and data mesh. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? Guest host Jean-Georges Perrin, who's the data innovation consultant at Profit Optics, as well as the CIO and ABA data, as well as guest of episode 130 and a panelist in episode 227, he facilitated a discussion with Amy Regatta, the senior data product manager at Swiss Marketplace Group, as well as guest of episode 165 and Andrew Jones, who's a principal engineer and author of the book on data contracts, as well as guest of episode 29. As per usual, all guests were only reflecting their own views. The topic for this panel was all about data contracts and how do we go about getting them in place? Much of it was about the general concept, but some of it was specifically about how do we think about data contracts applying to data mesh? This was the first topic I really did a deep dive into in early 2020 of data contracts. And Data contracts have evolved, but it is definitely still evolving. We're still early days. We're still figuring out how to do this. And I think we need to have more of these discussions that aren't necessarily, this is exactly how you do it, but <laughs> hey, let's talk about the realities of we're doing better, but not, uh, not, not perfect just yet. And then as per usual, I'm going to be sharing my takeaways rather than trying to reflect the nuance of the panelists' views individually. Here are my top seven takeaways, and then there are 16 additional ones in the show notes if you care to look at those. Number one, data contracts are about trust and understanding. Trust that there is an owner and there are rules, that there is a minder that knows this data actually matters. Trust that things aren't going to break. At least they aren't going to break as often as many things in data have historically, and that the consumers will be told if the data does break. And then understanding that what you're getting isn't perfect and there are rules, but also limitations. It's no longer buyer beware. It's consumers can understand what they should get and, and should have a way to actually start to understand what they'll actually be consuming. Number two, to do data products well, you almost certainly need some concept of a data contract. Otherwise, you are essentially just putting out a data asset and calling it a product. Products come with guarantees of some sort. Number three, data contracts are about ensuring better outputs with less effort for all parties. They are a quality assurance mechanism, but also a scaling mechanism. I think a good analogy is a printing press, right? There's reusability where you don't have to carve things in wood each time like you had to do before the printing press. You can have these tiles that are, are you just assemble around what you want it to, to be to print out, right? You have the tiles already there rather than having to carve things from scratch. 
you know, standard aspects of contracts help both producers and consumers communicate about the actual aspects of, of a data product. So I think helping get that in people's minds of we're just putting these, these different things around. It's always customized for what we're actually trying to do with this one data product, with this one contract. But we have a lot of the building blocks already there. Number four, like with anything related to data mesh or really any good data practices, you can roll out data contracts over time. It's not a switch you flip and suddenly everything, all of your data is covered by a contract. Start small and find value. Start with one or two teams, you know, one or two data products. Figure how this can work in your organization and then scale from there. You know, maybe listen to episode 278 as well with uh, Ryan Collingwood about how they applied it in kind of a, a company that isn't quite as, as tech heavy as, as many. Number five, while many may see data contracts as additional overhead for data producers, it's quite often a safety mechanism for those producers. They, at least hopefully, don't want to break things for downstream consumers, but they often don't know exactly how their data is used. Now we have a way for them to understand the impacts of their changes and easy mechanisms to get in touch with the users of their data. Now, far fewer emergency response tickets to data breakages. Number six, data contracts are very useful, potentially necessary, when we think about interoperability between data pro products in a larger context. The contract isn't only about what is in the specific data product, but how it relates to the rest of your data products, mesh or not. If you have interoperability standards or linking keys, those are important aspects to mention in, in a contract. You know, maybe that's only in the documentation, but it, it'd be great in the contract if we guarantee that this will fit relative to this, this interoperability standard. Finally, number seven, to realize the vision of data mesh, we have to be technology agnostic. There will be tons of vendors releasing their own versions and visions related to, to data contracts and everything else. But at the end of the day, to actually be able to let the teams have the freedom to develop their data products to best serve use cases, we need approaches over tools. And if you can't tell specifically, I am pretty skeptical of the tooling that is, is kind of coming out in the, the data contract space that isn't these open aspects, these open standards. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Hello, everyone. I'm really excited today to uh, host this panel. Uh, I think it's the first time I'm hosting a real panel, so I'm going to mess plenty of things. Um, but I am delighted to welcome Amy Regatta on, on this panel, as well as Andrew Jones. And maybe they can give a little bit of introduction. I'm not the only one working here. So Amy, go ahead. Tell us a little bit about you. Sure. Um, I'm super happy to be here with you guys. We've been together in some panels already, so it's uh, quite nice to be able to speak with you again. Um, again, my name is Amy Raigada. I'm a senior data product manager at Swiss Marketplace Group, and I've been working in IT for, I don't know, 13, 14 years by now, software engineering, data engineering, and now more on the product side. And yeah, that's it. <laughs> Adru, what about you? Yeah, hi, I'm, I'm Andrew. Um, I'm a physical engineer based in the UK. Uh, my background similar to Amy. I was a software engineer. I moved into data. It was taken off my career. Um, obviously, been thinking about data contracts for quite a long time for the past few years. I think kind of coined term a few years back. And yeah, now all for another book about it as well. So, uh, and for myself, I'm Jean-Georges Perrin or JGP. Uh, I'm the CIO of ABA Data and uh, most Thursday at half past noon Eastern, uh, I run uh, a roundtable with Scott Elliman and plenty of people that just want to come and have chat about data mesh and all those things. So uh, let's get into a little bit into data contracts. And my first question is for Amy. 
So how did you get started with data contract? Yeah, actually, it was quite interesting. While I was doing my data mesh research to do the implementation in the company where I work, um, I went through uh, the concept of uh, the data contract. I was reading uh, something in Medium or something on LinkedIn, I don't remember, a couple of years ago, and I saw it and I was like, huh, I think that's uh, super interesting. And it's something that is needed, you know, because usually we get uh, blame on, on the data side, on the teams, like, look, this is broken. And uh, and then when you understand what happened, actually, it happened from the backend side, something, some changes that no one really announced. And uh, when we started with the concept of data mesh, we decided to do the implementation there as well as part of the data mesh concept. A Andrew, yeah, so... And you can you can mention your book because Andrew is the first author of having written a book on on data contracts. But how did you? What was the genesis of? Yeah, so the problems I was trying to solve at my company were were similar to what I mentioned. Like we had um, issues with our data quality and that's causing issues in production, um, kind of downstream in our data teams, and we were starting to use data for more and more important things in the organization. And yet these issues kept on happening. I kept on having these meetings with particularly data teams, data scientists, um, BI engineers, data analysts, and kept hearing about the same kind of problems week in, week out about some upstream change broke something. And we were having to do anything to solve that, which kept working around it, adding more and more work around us like in VTL later. I started thinking like, I don't think this is this is good enough anymore. I think there must be a better way to be doing this. Um so I started thinking about that. It's around the same sort of time day my articles came out by by Jamie Edgar on um uh, online. So that helped a lot. Um I mean it gets kind of from very it comes to evolved as an idea of like how can we try and solve these problems? How can we move things a bit left? How can we shift responsibility a bit? And how do we do that in a way that improves the quality of our data so we can get more from our data, more away from our data and do so with less effort. Um so it really evolved from there, but it took a little while obviously, to come date contracts. Did you did you so so did you formalize it in a way? Because what 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 I've seen in and my eyes are, are still bleeding thinking of it. Um I've seen people doing things in Excel or in Word uh at the very beginning. And it's not like it was just an Excel sheet which was kind of structured, okay? It was kind of, let's dump everything in Excel and some guy will figure out how to manage it. So was that your first experience with data contract as well? Um, kind of. I did need to say, like, when I started talking about data contracts internally at company and before we built anything, I used to say, like, even if you create a document that is basically a data contract, as long as you're doing so in collaboration, like, as they generate and they assume you're collaborating on it, you're coming to some agreements, you're setting expectations. That's kind of their contract and that's a great place to start. In practice, not many people really did that. It's only once we built a tooling, of initial tooling, that people started really creating their contracts. Um, but luckily, the tooling itself was quite easy to build. So it was only like, it wasn't like we had to wait a long time. We, could, we did a proof of concept in a couple of weeks, um, had some teams work with that. And they started creating data contracts and it started having the impact that we hoped it would have and we can build from there. Um, but we never, we didn't want to say like every data had to move to data contract straight away. And we're not going to be able to apply data contracts to our data sets because there might be various reasons why we can't you know, have it generated or where we come from. So we said, well, at least, you know, just start talking to each other, start discussing it, start documenting your accusations. And that's the start of a data contract. Amy, Amy, what 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 was your experience? So, um, I do understand what you what you think or feel when you see these spreadsheets because I have seen that, um, and also I have heard that a lot. And for me, that makes no sense uh, because, you know, the the people is not going to Excel or to a Notion or to a Confluence page to update this. People is, I mean, if you're an engineer, you don't have time to do this manually, and also to let them know what the people. Oh, look, I changed this. So for us, it was very important to have it automated since the very beginning. And um, our architect, I told him, look, I would like to implement that. He was not familiar with the concept of data contract yet, but uh, uh, we went together through it. He was quite interested. And then uh, we designed our process. 
that was more about doing all the automation and having even, you know, to reinforce it, these kind of pull requests uh, where we'll let know the people, you know, when there is a change from the data side so they can, you know, have a conversation and it's like, hey, uh, look, you're changing something that is going to break my entire pipeline or um, maybe we need to add this new column here or remove that or we need to create a different data product out of it. So the idea was to foster this communication this, um, you know, this responsibility in between both sides, because we had a case in the past that uh, some backend engineer dropped uh, two columns. No one knew, you know, we were just like, getting some data there. And then sales dashboard completely broken for days. And everybody was trying to understand what was going on, what was happening. But, you know, at that moment, our team was very messy. And it took maybe a week or something to find out that it was a change in the back end. And we really wanted to solve that problem. As Andrew mentioned, data quality, this kind of communication issues. So for us, having these goods from the very first time was quite uh, important to have already some automation on top of it. And that's how we manage uh, now that. Also, um, on the other side, I have some other teams from marketing who are interested in implementing because I'm from the data platform team. Um, or concept in their teams, but they they come they came to me and they showed me a Notion page with some things written, and this is how they wanted to do the data contract. And I was like, no, no, no. That's why I told you, like, I, I felt a pain here. Like someone was just helping me when I saw that. I was like, no, why are you doing this? I'm, I mean, I'm happy you want to try it out, but this is not the way, right? And we don't have the solution for that because it's something different. It's this, I don't know if you're familiar with Bloomreach, which is more kind of a, this marketing team in, in between uh, uh, GTA. And it's a, a little bit complicated. We haven't found out a solution there, but we gave them something else. And we told them, look, uh, you already have this contract here. There are probably some changes and no one is really taking care of this for months. So how do you expect this to work, right? So um, I think automation is is kind of key to, to be able to reinforce these and to keep it for a long-term solution. Otherwise, I mean, it's, it's just a little bit more of uh, paperwork there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good point as well. Like having the contract defined where it's more likely to be updated, so where people expect them to be, particularly people who want to maintain the contract, which in my eyes is data producers, data generators. So like if they are, you know, producing the data via sort of code, having it in their Git repo next to the code is a good place to have it. Having it in a web UI or a conference page or something like that is maybe not such a good place to have it. Um, it's just going for all that update. It's just going to be, um, it's just not going to be used. Um, it needs to be where they expect it to be, where they're most likely to keep updated, most likely to make use of it. So, so Amy, when you when you mentioned pull request, so that means that for use, the data contract lives in GitHub, or exactly, it li it lives in GitHub. Um, we have uh, some documentation in Notion where we put the link for this. For for example, if someone is asking um, access to a data product, uh, they need to subscribe to the data sets, you know, to get access, and then also to this um, GitHub, you know, repository. So they also will be alerted when there is a change. So, ah, okay, look, um, the data set that I'm using is actually being changed, and I would like to see what is going to be changed. Is it going to affect my in my domain, you know, my product or not? As again, as I said, it's more about fostering this uh, active communication because then they cannot really push these changes until everybody kind of agreed, like, okay, it's not affecting me. So you have to be responsible. If you're subscribing, it's because you really want to use this and you want to, you know, use it responsibly, the product. Do you... Um... Do, do you think, and that's for Amy, because unfortunately, Andrew and I have had this discussion before, but I, I want, I want, I wanted to, 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 to challenge you, Amy, on, do you think there is room for a standard? No, not really. I think it really depends on, on, on the company and on the systems, because as I told you, for example, for, um, the, the backend APIs or the or the microservices, we have the schema validation, we have all that. But now, for example, we're seeing that for certain other uh, contracts, like the ones that we have, uh, for example, from a data product to to a consumer domain, um, it's a, a little bit different, right? So I think there's there could be some templates, but it needs to be adjusted to your um, domain or to organization or now this example of uh, Bloomridge with uh, GTA that it's something a little bit different so you will have to create something so there are some 
basic guidelines, I will say, that what would you like to measure or, or to control with it? But you cannot really standardize a, a, a full template um, because, I mean, it, it doesn't match everyone. Okay. I see your face. Maybe you're not that... <laughs> <laughs> that's right? Well, the, the people, the people, people won't see our face, but uh, but Andrew, would they like to answer Amy about that, or, or or would you like me to answer Amy? I I want I want to hear both uh, actually. <laughs> I'm intrigued now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, we be a lot of us about standard, um, and I think. When I think of a day contract, I think how it's implemented in different organizations will be quite different. Um, where you want to find them, how you want people to how you want people to write them, what can write them in. Um, so for example, we implement day contracts in a language called JSONnet, which is like JSON with extensions and functions and things like that. I don't think many people are going to do that, use that. It's not because it's a great choice for a day contract, it's because that's what our engineers were using and it's most natural for them to use that. Yeah, very defined infrastructure that way, defined about APIs in that way, defined state contract that way. It's most natural. Um, but very spoke to us. But when we fund that, we can create any other data format we like. We export it to an open API specifications. We can use the open API libraries. We export it to protobuf so configure um Google Hub Hub Sub and what have schemas there. Uh, you could do the same with Kafka, if you use Kafka, whatever you like. So we kind of see it as a way, um, we can define it how we like, but we can export it to open formats and standard formats to make use of other tooling. I think there could be somewhere for date contract standard to be like that, where we might not all use it internally, but if we can agree on something we can use to exchange data, exchange date contract, exchange metadata, and build on top of that, that could potentially be very viable. Yeah, so so I I, I feel strongly about a standard in data contract. Um um, and I, so when, when I started my, my, my journey with, with data mesh, I, I, I was at PayPal and we realized later, I think it's a little bit similar to your journey, Amy, when, when you realize that, Hey, I need something to configure this machine. Okay. Or this something. Okay. I need to, I need to be able to, 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 to give it some, some guidance. And that's that's how we realized that well, this is really something that is looking like a, a data contract. So before I left uh, PayPal, we managed to open source the data contract and we created the data contract template. Since then, it became the open data contract standard, and it is now a standard recognized by the Linux Foundation. So we created a project called BITOL, and BITOL is a, a set of standards starting with a data contract that we would like, you know, the industry to adopt. And and I think the Linux Foundation agreed on this vision as well. So that's 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 where. And so I know th this this episode of the po the panel will air uh will will air um in a, in a few weeks. So this is completely new, uh, Amy. It's not like a, we we're trying to 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 to, to squeeze you or or anything like that. It's quite we we to be honest, it's very um, satisfying to get some some fresh views on on, on what we are doing, and so Beetle as its first steering committee yesterday, that uh, is going to be publicly announced tomorrow. Um, so. So we're really in the kind of the perfect timing. Okay, so so for people that are listening to us right now, that must have happened like, a, and Scott is so fast, so it's probably a two or three years ago. Um, anyway, uh, but but so 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 I, I, the idea of having a standard for for data contract is to, yes, it's challenging because it, first it, it is. Every everybody every use case is a little bit different, right? The thing is, uh, every every but every data product is fundamentally different, and the data contract for me is the support to the data product. But um, if there is no standards, then it's going to be very difficult to have this kind of lingua franca of 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 data contract, and so. If we want to be able to ease interoperability between data products, if we want to ease 
uh, interoperability between companies, between data vendors and data consumers or data producers. I think it's, it makes a lot of sense to try to organize it uh, and to, 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 is it, is it perfect? No. Uh, that's why we've got a steering committee. Um, and, uh, and that's, that's hopefully where, where we're going there. But the thing is then multiple vendors can, uh, you know, I, I've already committed to use it, multiple service provider as well. So I think it's going to be an interesting development in the term of data contract. And um, so hopefully you'll change your mind when you'll see the standards and and you'll uh, you'll you'll you you you'll consider it. Okay. I'm not saying you'll adopt it. I, I would love to see them because I would like to understand from your perspective what kind of a standardization it's it's there, right? As, as you said, there are different use cases, and I and I believe in guidelines. As I told you, like okay, we we have these guidelines, and this is how we would like to do it. And for example, I don't know if it's between um, your uh, API, and then uh, be, because we we have it, for example, from the backend side to when when the data comes into into BigQuery, and then also we have between the data product and the consumers. So we have these two. But also, what what happened, for example, if you have multiple different systems, or you have relational database, or, uh, or what happened if, when you are using this, for example, uh, Google Analytics, and maybe you are not uh, ingesting directly into BigQuery? What kind of uh, standards, or how what what will be like the best practices? Uh, I will be interested in knowing more of that because you know we um, we are not perfect, of course, and I'm always looking for new ways to do uh, better implementations or to improve it. Actually, this uh, for the upcoming year, I have uh, one of my uh, KRs uh, is uh, make your results is to have more templates, you know, for different systems that we have in the company. Um, but I'm looking for solutions because some of them are very abstract. It's easier when you have an API, but if you don't have it, then you have to look, you know, for different uh, solutions. So I'm really... I'm really curious. Um, what are your takes also on on this when the systems are different and it's not like the usual API to database, you know, kind of ingestion? I will. I will invite you and and maybe maybe I can book a little bit of your time, Amy, and we can go through it as well in a more one to one session, or maybe we do a one to one session where we record it and Scott distributes it. Um, <laughs> so, but so. For, for, for if we go back to, to a, a little bit of the fundamentals, um, who owns for you the data contract? And for me, it has to be the data generator, the data producer, because only they can actually improve quality of data. Only they have full context around data and they can make changes to data. So therefore, they must be responsible for the data and for the data contract. Like my goal. From the start, that contracts were really to try and shift things left and to shift our responsibility left. Um, so yeah, for me, I, see very, I know there are different opinions there, and I think we kind of might be seeing a, we say split, but like there's kind of in the software world, you've got this idea of consumer-driven contracts, which um, some people might have heard of, some people not. Not it's it's quite well established, but not not used everywhere. Um, I think we're seeing consumer-driven data contracts being built. But for me, that's... I don't know how much better that is than using great expectations or soda or whatever to kind of write the test um, compared to like actually trying to make that change, a shift left of responsibility, which is what I've always been trying to do with data contracts. Be- be- before, before, uh, before we go, we go to, to Amy, how, how do you motivate cons- data producer to do that did you kidnap all the kids and then <laughs> threaten to give them back or uh so how do you do that no it wasn't i always thought this was going to be a bigger challenge day contracts i just thought how do i get these engineers to care about data but actually it's not that difficult depends who you're talking to but if you talk to a engineer team and explain to them problems you're having and you're saying hey we're building all this data that's coming directly from database via some ELT or CATC, like change that capture process. And you keep changing your database and it's breaking our things. I'd be like, well, yeah, obviously that's true. Um, and if I say, well, can we have some sort of interface, a bit like an API, but for data, I'd be like, yeah, that sounds a reasonable solution. Um, 
So I really got those kind of engineers involved really early on before I even implemented anything to, to get them to understand the problem and to get them to give feedback into the solutions we were thinking about. Um, so I understand the problems, they understand the solution, but it just becomes a question of priorities really. Um, like, okay, we, we can produce you about data, we understand why, you're providing tooling that makes it relatively easy to do that, but as easy as an API as a goal, it should be as easy as an spin up API, it should be to spin up that contract. Um, so it's all achievable, it's then just becomes a question of priorities. Um, and then that's just however you prioritize things in an organization, right? You've always got multiple teams working together to produce something that is valuable for the organization. And you incentivize those teams in different ways. You use uh, KPIs and key results and success metrics, whatever you want to do in your organization. It doesn't really matter, but you always have multiple teams working together to deliver something that's greater than some of the teams, deliver something of value to your organization. And if part of that needs quality data, then there's no reason why you can't incentivize a a product engineering team to produce a data contract and produce data matches that data contract if it's valuable enough to a business to get prioritized. Amy, so for you, who owns the data contract? The domain team uh, that is actually because, um, for example, if we are stream aligned, right, and we are we have usually one uh, backend engineer, one data engineer, one data product owner, and um, data analyst to say something, right? And um, this team, you know, the, this uh, software engineer that is on this side um, doing on the back end, um, you know, it's doing this pull request. And then, you know, they will have a conversation in between them. As I mentioned, again, is uh, going also to this, how you enforce it with this, right? Because they cannot move forward um, if not everybody's on the same page. And sometimes you really have to go through this way um to make it happen right because people will be oh yeah um maybe why do i need to do this it's another process i need to let them know the people but if you're already blocked systematically or automatically you know there there is a need to start with this conversation and from the data consumer side when it's uh, the contract over the data product then they do data discover discoverability in atlan for example from the business side and uh, they want okay i need this data product then, you know, I need to be also responsible to understand how this affects me. So I have to like and subscribe, let's say that way, to the contract. So that if they are there and they understand, okay, something is going to change, um, I need to actually give an approval to, to push these changes um, from the data side, from the, you know, the domain uh, team side. They have to be more careful and put attention to whatever is being changed and how this is going to affect their product. Now, if they say, I don't know, they can also be irresponsible and say, yeah, nothing is going to affect me. And they just uh, hit yes on GitHub, you know, like I approve. And then if something breaks, you know, the responsibility is on them because they didn't really check on it. But yeah. then you, you 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 create this accountability on each of the sites, which is also part of the data ownership and data governance site, uh, where you really have to be on top of things um, that is going to affect whatever you're doing. So that's uh, that's why we decided to go a little bit more uh, hardcore, let's say that way, in putting these uh, pull requests uh, stop going on, just to create this mindset that the people need to follow. And eventually, you know, the people just learn that it's part of the process and all good, I don't think will be a problem. But at the beginning, you really need to have something in place, some rules uh, that make them kind of follow uh, seamlessly. So they don't feel like being pushed, but it's part of the process we just implemented. Yeah, and, and I think it's part of the change management as well. Okay, so exactly. you will, you're 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 bringing product thinking into data, and and that has some consequences. We all went through uh, in our in our yeah in our job. So, but when you were saying it's a team, so do do you do you think that the so the ownership of the data contract is a collective thing, uh, or like a EP commune, or or more like, oh, you've got a, a neck to grab at some point, or you just say, well, if someone broke it, we can find him through GitHub anyway, so we know who broke it. Oh, but so, so how do you see this this ownership, collective or more individual? Um, we've been actually dealing with that lately um, because we are implementing now data owners in the entire company, regardless if it's backend uh, data or you know just uh, data from the data teams. And the, with the backend teams, we agree that we put a team as an owner because, you know, it's, it's really difficult at the point where we are right now. Maybe it will change in the future. 
um, to assign it to one specific person because we don't have a way to understand if this person left the company because my company is 1,000 people. So it's it's kind of complicated, right? So if we put a team, uh, we put a label also on, on for example, on BigQuery, uh, this team is the owner, here is the email, and then you are an engineer from another team, you can go, okay, I'm going to email this person and I know who was the one, you know, someone will point me out, the head or the manager, to the person who owns that specific uh, microservice. And then, you know, this person will uh, take care of it. However, if there is not no domains, because we haven't domainized, you know, the, the entire company, but if there is a domain, you already know these microservices belong to this person and this person is already connected to this domain. So there will be for sure, you know, some kind of conversation. But when there is no domains, we decided just to go for teams to be able to track and say, okay, this is the team that that, that owns it and they need to be responsible for whatever it happened. And I know it's a little bit about pointing fingers, but that's how you start to change in this mindset, right? That eventually will come naturally. But we are in, in, in these early stages of uh, implementing for the entire company all this governance. And, and with them, uh, for software engineers, we're like, oh, no, we really don't want to own that. I, we don't want one person. And we have to make the processes a little bit softer for certain teams, for certain people. So they kind of agree on implementing. But then for the data teams and also for business, for sure, there is one or two people that owns that specific uh, data set or this product, and they have to be responsible and accountable. And um, that's also it's something we had to do. We started uh, bottom up. Now it's more top bottom, and, and it's more easier for the people to say, "Okay, then I'll do it," because the um, I don't know the C level people would like to have it, so we have to follow. Um, yeah, but it's it's about a push and pull, right? And finding the right um, setup to people to own it and to and, and to enforce it. And as I said, automation helps a lot on the way. So, so Amy, as I understood, you, you're you're using really the data contracts in in, in the context of data mesh, right, and data mm -hmm. product. Yeah. Is it is it the same case for you, Andrew, or you just use them more like as monitoring for pipelines? Um, yeah, so we haven't really gone full data mesh, um, and we're not really. I don't know if we will do that um, at least in the near future. I think, like I mentioned, kind of start like. When I was thinking about date contracts, came up with idea. It was around the same sort of time that the original date mesh article was published, and they're very um, inspirational. They helped influence a lot. Um, it's great about I think sort of because kind of thinking about the same problems I was thinking about, and physicians weren't that different. But it always felt like it sounded very complicated to implement date mesh. It sounded like you have to change the whole organization, and that seemed like a big barrier. Um, particularly as I'm kind of working bottom-up when I was doing date contracts. So I didn't want to suggest a whole change to organization to try out a what seemed like should be a relatively simple idea to me of just creating an interface of data and signing ownership. Um, so we started date contracts, and I think really it got us as far as we need to go. We're, we're getting a lot of benefit just from date contracts. We might one day go data mesh. I think we do, I do want us to move in that direction to move to streamline teams, move to more domain, domain ownership. Um, but even if we don't take that step or don't take that step for a while, we still make good progress with, with data contracts. Yeah. So, so uh, as, a, as a summary, um, you, I, 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 and that, that's a personal view of mine. So you've got to agree or, or, or not, but. I, I see that the data contract can have a, an existence outside of a data of a data product or a data mesh, but the opposite is not true. Like if you if you're building data products, you will need data contracts. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. I think if um yeah if you haven't got a data contract or any data product, then you probably haven't got a data product. And I think it'd be very difficult to data mesh without data contracts and data products. Yeah, I, I agree on that as well. I think it's crucial actually to foster this ownership. And you know, the data mesh is about the change management and mentality change. Yeah. It's something about putting already some rules on top about this, uh, you know, computational governance as well and, and doing all this uh, federated governance is part of the whole uh, thing. That's why as, as you um, uh, did in PayPal, you know, you, you found this need. Um, of some some ways to also measure quality because we also do some uh, 
data quality tests on when we are doing this on the pipeline itself, but also to have this ownership of changes and, and things that can go south just for a little, you know, change on the data type or something and no one finding what happened. And and uh, yeah, I, I, I think I think that that's kind of a little bit crucial. So what so that I know that's that's a big question coming. It's what do you think should be in a data contract? Okay, so maybe there's a few things we can already say, like, okay, the schema is in, okay, the, the data schema is in. So you both agree? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, you've got to talk, because I see you, but you've got to, to really say that you agree, <laughs> because, because my ego needs it. Uh, and so, so the, We agree. The, <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, Amy. Uh, so, uh, so, so, there, so, there, so there's that. Um, the ownership, do you put the ownership in the data contract? Yeah. Yes. That's so fair enough. Do, 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 do you put, um, do you put your data quality rules in your data contract? Yes, I do. Yeah, me, <laughs> we do. We have the, at least we have a provision too. We don't force any data quality rules in there, but we allow them to be defined. Yeah, on, in our cases, the same is more about like um, a schema, a most likely type of uh, tests. Nothing like is uh, yeah. is not um, anomaly detection because that comes later when there is a transformation and the modeling and all that. Do 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 you put um, do you put service level agreements or service level objectives in your data? It's it, it's super important, but um, we are not there yet. Okay, so it's something that we will add in the future. Yeah, same for us really. I think what I really want with data contract is for it to set the expectations you have when you're using data. And part of that is like the SLOs and the SLAs and like how reliable is it going to be? How much, how can I depend on it? Um, doesn't mean it has to be, you know, 100% correct and things like that. But I need to know what it is if I can use it with confidence. Um, so I think a data contract is all about setting those expectations. Um, and yeah. How many we've got in there now compared to how many we have in the future? It's going to be keep evolving, but it will get it'll get more complete over time. Uh, how do you link your data contract with security if you do? Um, so goes back to kind of the automation points I'm just bringing up. Like we we use data contract to automate as much security and governance and privacy things as we can, and we're going to do yeah, and we're going to do more in future. Uh, so for example. Simple, simple things like we automate taking our backups of data, we automate access controls based on uh, a data contract people can define or they feel have to define um, some categories for data, categorize the data. So is it personal data? Is it confidential, secret? Um, those kind of things. And from that, we can automate access controls. We can automate uh, deletion, like GPR deletion requests, things like that. Uh, automate retention periods. All of these things can be automated quite easily, really. You can write quite simple services or scripts to do that automation as long as your data contract describes the data well enough and then you can apply those scripts to any data as data contract, whether the data is quite widely defined or quite nested schemas, doesn't really matter as long as it's defined well enough in that data. It's quite easy to write scripts that are generic enough to work with any data that has been described in the same way. Um, same from my side, we don't have it exactly on the data contract per se, but we have all the automation for privacy and security, PII scanning, so we already know if there is, you know, some some uh, data, but not on the data contract per se, but it's something that we do on top in the in the cloud, just uh, automated as well. So uh, same automation, I think, is is the key. So so do you use automation to 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 create the the contract? then I guess that there's a, a human intervention on top of it to make it better. And then there's automation to use and validate, so it's a, not enforce, I would say, more than validate the contract. Yeah, it's more uh, from the data engineer from the domain, you know, yeah. that uh, this is the person who creates the first uh, data contract. It, it takes the template, uh, get the schema, and then do all the automation that needs to be done and created, basically. And then, you know, it runs automatically. It, if we send emails or Slack messages if something changes and, you know, this kind of things. Yeah. I think this organization is important. Like, if you're trying to ask like product engineering teams or software engineering teams to do a bit more and to assign that ownership to them and shift things a bit left, you need to 
support them with the right tooling. And the automation is part of that. You don't need everyone creating data to be experts in GDPR, for example. Um, but as long as they're defining the data contract correctly, based on their context of the data, then our scripts and our guardrails and um, our infrastructure will do the right thing with that data. So they don't have to worry about it. Yeah, it's true. I, I keep forgetting, but you guys have to deal with GDPR. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there'll be plenty more privacy regulations coming. So GDPR is just first. Um, uh, it's, coming, it's coming our way as well. So, so uh, or, or, or as a form of it. Do you put pricing information in your contract? Do you mean like in terms of like charging other teams? Is it yeah. or either yeah. I? No, we, do, we don't. We don't do any of that kind of uh, charging teams for things like that. Um, no. On my, on our case, yes, but not in the data contract. It's something automated in the cloud. We have a data app for cost control. So basically, we are checking. You know, we assign the data sets to cost centers because we have different uh, verticals. You know, b business units. So we basically, based on this automatic scanning, we assign already the cost center there. And so we are able to understand, you know, who is uh, spending more or less, even uh, for the deletion. Uh, as Andrew mentioned, um, we, this year we were able to save more than 200,000 uh, francs, Swiss francs, um, basically because there was a lot of data sets that no one used in many years or projects or something. So we have to sort out, you know, clean up the house a little bit, um, all automated now. And then you get a lot of cost savings, but not as a part of the data contract. It's just part of the entire ecosystem that we have um, for the data platform. Do, 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 can you attribute the savings to using data contracts or they're not linked at all? Not really. Um, not on the stage that we are right now, I think, but it was more about the type, how the projects were defined because there were no really any standard at the beginning and people was just creating projects in, in, in the cloud, you know, like creating, I don't know, <laughs> something else. And um, and also creating data sets or duplicating or, you know, having uh, multiple things there and not really because of the data contract it improved because we are not fully in data mesh in the entire company. Maybe at some point will be an option, but for now it's more about what was there and how um, the how dirty the house were at the moment. So Yeah, and then for 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 different companies, you also have merger and acquisitions. You've got new new company, exactly. new company, new data sets coming in. It's kind of a, it can be can be really messy quickly. Yeah, yeah. We actually went to a merger a couple of years ago, and we're still trying to you know even um, harmonize, let's say, the technologies we're using because some themes is, is still um, in AWS with Snowflake. It might not leave, but we are going to use it. We're using now Apache Iceberg, you know, to kind of do data sharing and some other stuff. But there, at some point, we will love in an ideal world, if it happens, to everybody to be like on GCP. So it's much easier, you know, to manage all these kind of things. So, but it's little by little that you have to go and start cleaning up the different uh, clouds that we have and see how we can, you know, link work or work together with other teams without they feel that data platform is being intrusive. Or they are just, uh, you know, Sauron from uh, from uh, Lord of the Rings watching you with the big eye to see how you mess it up and burn the whole thing. <laughs> but uh, I, it, 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 I, you, you mentioned about going full GCP. Uh, I think I've got some friends at Google that are really excited about hearing things like that for sure. Um, uh, so, but, but but we agree, and and maybe Andrew, you, I don't know if you've got a specific. Uh, um, opinion on that, but you guys are also users, which makes it a little bit different than vendors or in terms of needs or service providers, right? So, but so for but for you, it, should the data contract be technology agnostic, or you don't really care at this stage? Yeah, I think to a degree, it really depends. Like. You probably will have some of the technology in the, in the data contract bleeding through. There's no really reason to make it too abstract. Like, at least, right, I see it. Like, the data contract is there to support the data producers in their generation and management of data or to help people use that data. So you're probably going to have, if you're using BigQuery, you're going to have like, a link to a BigQuery table somewhere. Um, and that's fine. That's, 
that's a bit of the implication bleeding through, but that's fine. That's kind of what you'd expect to be there. Trying to have a chat that way is not really helping anyone. Um, similarly, if you're using that catalog and you're buying that catalog and you're, you put everyone in companies referring to it by the, the vendor name. So it's probably okay if you should mention that. Um, so I think in terms of how would that contract implemented in your company, you'd be using the language your company uses and that might be vendor specific. Um, that's why I think when we spoke about stands earlier, like the standard probably won't have that and it's more useful for a sort of interchange format where it can be a bit more generic or to allow you to generate um, to interface with other vendors or other tools or things like that. But whether that should be in the debt contract you're implementing, your users are implementing or if that's something you convert back to so you can get, take advantage of a thing being built into that standard. That's an open question, but I think... Yeah, probably, like I said earlier, I would see as what you define using your data contract is using the language your company uses. And for standard, it might be something you convert that into to create, get operative to, to, inter, to integrate with various other vendors and tooling and whatever else is out there. Makes sense. Amy? Mm, can you re rephrase the question one more time? Sure, because you... you... So we were just talking, you know, about about GCP and and you also acquired some other companies and and the merger is still in process. Like it seems like it for every company, it's a never ending story. Um, so does that affect your design of data contract to make it technology agnostic, or or you try to optimize it for, let's say, you were mentioning GCP for GCP or BigQuery? For yeah, actually, that's um, that's why I, I, I agree partially with you on the standardization, but that's what I mentioned, that we have complex uh, different uh, type of uh, settings that we need to standardize. Like, for example, now um, some teams are asking for a snowflake and um, and how they're going to do that, you know, um, and I'm trying to figure out also this with them, trying to help them, you know, to, to understand um, what they want to do, how we are doing it in in the business units that are working. You know, we have three business units uh, working directly with a GCP and how we can collaborate with them also maybe in AWS because they also have some other things there uh, going on. So I think we have to adapt to the different technologies that we have because that's the reality that we have at this moment. And that's why we cannot uh, have a, a setup, you know, of, of um, a standard data contract for everyone until we have maybe more clarity in how the clouds are going to be and we have to adapt to the use cases we have at the moment. It makes sense. It makes sense. Um, in, in all what we were talking about, you know, what what we, what we put into this data contract, is there something that I forgot? We talked about schema, data quality, pricing that you don't do there. Uh, security SLAs, did, 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 is there something else in your data contract? The enforcement that I mentioned, that uh, how you enforce it automatically as well. I think that's super important because even though it's um, technology agnostic, I will say, if there is no really enfor enforcement mechanism, then also can be a skip as if you have it in an Excel or in Confluence. So if you need to have something, a, a mechanism to, to enforce this uh, data contract. My my personal thought. <laughs> yeah. I think like, there's probably room for more. Like, we, um, the way we implement data contracts and the way I did it in my example in the book as well was to do it at the infrastructure layer, so platform layer. Um, so we have things in the data contract I configures that. So, you know, for us, if you're using your cloud, it might be pops up topic and maybe the let queue and things like that around it. Um, BigQuery table and how it's configured and things like that. So that's in our date contract. And that's really the interface part of the date contract for us. Um, or what I see as the interface part. So you need some way for data to be available to other people. Um, I think they much call it more like an output pool, but it's the same sort of thing. Um, and the interface could be a pub sub topic, a Kafka topic, BigQuery table, Snowflake table, whatever else is a mechanism to provide data to the users. Um, you probably have that somewhere in the date contract figure that interface yeah we have that as well that that, that yeah that that that's that's really that's that's really interesting 
Something I would like to add as well, I don't know, um, because we talk about the uh, data quality, but um, in our case, we do pre-checks, uh, you know, when is the um, when we have these uh, pipeline coming directly from the back end, and then we have post-check yeah, as well uh, tests, you know, when it's going to be published um, in the as a data product. So, you know, it's not only the first uh, data quality check that we have, but we uh, have the post ones as well once it's uh, deployed, just to make sure that, you know, everything is, it's okay and it's still on the standards. So I don't know if it was um, worth it to say, but I think that's very important. No, it's, 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 yeah, that's, that's, I like, I like the idea of the pre-test and the post-test. So, yeah, it's a, it's kind of a, that's, that's, I had a, I had a little bit of a different vision there, but uh, uh, so we, we're, we're almost about wrapping up. So, um, I I have a I have a I have a I have a question which is a kind of my last almost serious question, uh, which is how many data contracts do you see per data product? And I will ask that first to Andrew because he's doing he's not doing a lot of data product yet. Um, so I think one data contract per data product and one data product per data set. But I know there's different opinions out there. So, right, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not a, it's not a trick question. It's not a pass/fail question. It's more. Like no, it's in one. I don't know the answer to, to be honest. But that's current, my current thinking is one, a one-to-one. Um, but I know I've someone from Water Trader down to Big Data London, and they had many data sets per day product. So that's interesting. I thought. Um, but you just see what Amy thinks and and how many data contracts and data products and data set. You do, Amy. <laughs> yeah, um, we have um, between the data source and the initial data product, let's say that way, um, one data contract. But then this data contract is going to be consumed by many teams. So we will have different uh, data contracts. Well, it's going to be one or two, depending on, on you know, how it's going to be derived. I don't know, dashboards, APIs or whatever we would like to, to have out of it. Um, but then, you know, depending on, on how many consumers we have, usually right now, for example, in the first use case that we did, um, we have just, um, as I said, one for the data source and then another one for the data product. So two, let's say right there from that domain. And then the other people subscribe to these, uh, data, data, uh, product data contract, let's say that way. Mm -hmm. Okay. That, that's, that's, that seems to be both fair answers. Um, so, what can I wish for you, starting with Amy? What can you wish for me? <laughs> yes. What's 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 your future? What what if if I had a if I had a a magic wand? Okay. Uh, what 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 could I do to help you? Professionally speaking, okay, because we all want peace on earth and all this things. No more war. Let's 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 stay professional. I was about to ask for money, but I mean, it's not possible that. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, being serious, I mean, I I would like to see uh, the evolution of data contracts are to be more adopted, you know, in, in the community. Um, and as you said, maybe more examples, real life examples that are useful for the different use cases, because we just see, same up with the data mesh, you know, we see just a very uh, little um, examples of companies in real life. So I think if the community shares more about what they're doing, um, like you're having these uh, open PayPal data contract or um, some others that are around, it will help uh, maybe to have uh, to grab ideas, you know, from the others and keep improving these uh, because I think data contracts are here to stay. Uh, we just need to keep, you know, improving and 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 getting uh, better, you know, and we all have different ideas, ambitions, and it will be nice to be able to share more. Andrew, what can I wish for you? <laughs> yeah, that's a good answer, I mean, like, to get more people sharing their, their success and their learnings from data contracts, data mesh, and anything else related, that'd be great. Um, but I hope, I hope we're on a journey where we are, through data contracts and through similar things like data mesh and, and other related things, that we are moving to a world where, uh, but we are shifting responsibility, we are shifting things left, we are treating data with the right discipline that we should be treating it when we are building important things on top of that data, whether that's um, ML-based product or whatever it might be. 
we are using our data for more and more important things that we are putting in front of our customers in many cases. Um, and therefore, we should treat it with the same discipline that we treat our other software products. Um, and that's a start of source. So we're data generated and from then on. So, yeah, what I'd like you to, if I had a wish, I'd like you to so continue my journey and eventually we'll be in a world where data has the same sort of discipline as our software does and is as reliable as our software. And and I was I was expecting that you would say something like about selling more of your books as well. <laughs> uh, well, I think like it goes back to kind of Amy's answer. Like for for book and this podcast and various things, it's all about our sharing ideas more than yeah. I'm promoting ideas rather than promoting me and promoting publisher and promoting whoever else. Like and it's people like us and probably many people listening if they could share their ideas as well. Somewhere doesn't have to be a, a polished podcast or a book. It could be a LinkedIn post, it could be whatever art, could be a medium post. Like the more people share their ideas, the more we move forward, and the quicker we we'll get to something that is that is a better place than where we are now. Um, so yeah, the great thing about the way things are now is it's never been easy to share his ideas and to get some feedback on it. And yeah, they contracting start out as a fully fleshed idea that I could write a book about. It took years of talking to people. Um, it's now better than it was when I first started and it's getting better through these things and in a couple of years time it's better as well because more people more people share ideas yeah we, we will probably have adopted standards soon so <laughs> and that's well we'll, we'll see where we're going so um, and and the last thing is how do we get in touch with you guys Amy yeah I mean you can always uh, follow me on LinkedIn I'm constantly doing um, talks in different conference and I also have a round table every month um, at 2 p.m. Uh, Central European time about data mesh, data contracts, governance uh, with some other folks in the data community in Europe. And also um, soon I will be, um, you know, joining, well, starting with my own uh, consultancy. Uh, so if you're interested in knowing more, yeah, about uh, how to set up data products, how to set up your domains and some advising, how to implement um, a strategy and these kind of things um, in a company, you feel free to reach me out and then we can have a conversation um, always on LinkedIn. Um, and then we can exchange emails, phones or something else. Well, so that's something we can wish you success. Also, thank you. So. Yeah, very much. And uh, Andrew, yeah, I've got LinkedIn too, um, where I'm, I'm I'm very active. Also, if you go to my my website, andrew-jones.com, I've got a relatively new daily newsletter. I'm sending out. I send that small small post every day. I write it, uh, which is a lot of fun for me. But hopefully, something interesting for people, some interesting ideas, some interesting topic discussion. Um, so yeah, I feel we sign up to that as well and get in touch with me. Cool. Yeah, as as for me, I'm I'm a LinkedIn person more and more. Uh, I don't even look at the other social network. Well, maybe Facebook, but that's just not very professional to stay. Uh, but uh, LinkedIn, if you connect with me on LinkedIn, said that you heard the podcast or something or because I've got so many people just willing to connect and I don't know what they want. So I... I'm I'm a bit tired of people trying to sell me stuff. So that's having, true. <laughs> <laughs> as, having 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 said that, thank you, Amy. Thank you, Andrew. Um, and uh, hopefully, we I'll be more in Europe next year as well. So hopefully, we'll see each other uh, and we'll share uh, a beer, which seems to be the common things between Switzerland, Germany, and as a, a United Kingdom. So, guys. It was a, it was a it was a it was it was great. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'd again like to thank the participants today, our wonderful facilitator, Jean-Georges Perrin, data innovation consultants at Profit Optics, as well as the CIO of ABA Data, and guest of episode 130, and a panelist in episode 227, and our panelists, Amy Ray Gada, senior data product manager at Swiss Marketplace Group, as well as guest of episode 165 and Andrew Jones, principal engineer and author of the, or the book on data contracts, as well as guest of episode 29. You can find a link to their LinkedIn's in the show notes as per usual, as well as links to Andrew's book and his website, as well as the Beetle data contract standard. So with all that said, thank you so much for listening.
Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of Throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well. And have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.